We are going to be in Philippians again tonight. We are starting a new chapter. We finished off Philippians chapter 2 last week. We are going to be in Philippians chapter 3 tonight. Just looking at the first few verses, the first 11 verses. We're going to try to cover a lot of ground tonight in a short time. So I'm going to hit a lot of scriptures, but I'll try not to get to preaching. That's the problem with being a preacher. You get to preaching and you can't stop. So, But I know it's late and everybody wants to get home, so I will do my best to try to uh, get the point across and not lollygag around. Y'all bear with me if I kind of sneeze and snore a little bit, kind of battling a cold, but it's going to be all right. We're going to pray and then we'll dig into the text and we'll get started. Let's pray. God, we come to you tonight and I thank you for this this group that's here. I thank you for the the smiles and the laughs and just being able to see everybody tonight. And we thank you for the freedom to come into your house and just to worship you. And I thank you for uh, the words that we are going to look at tonight, dear Lord. We thank you that you are good enough, Lord Jesus, with what you did on the cross. We thank you for uh, taking the burden off of us. And God, I pray that you would help us not to uh, think of ourselves as being self-righteous, but that we would always remember that we have been made righteous through what you did, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is protection for you. So Paul is, is writing some things to the people of Philippi here. Obviously, he's repeating some stuff he's already said, but he's, he's saying, look, it's no trouble. I'm just going to remind you of it because it's going to be good for you, and it's not any trouble for me to do it. And sometimes we have to remember the same things. There may be times that we hear God's Word taught or preached, and we uh, begin to tune out because we say, oh, I've heard that story before, or I know that text, and it's easy for us to kind of lollygag. But we need to pay attention to stuff that maybe we've heard on numerous occasions because maybe uh, the Holy Spirit, the Lord's going to uh, bring something out of that that's going to speak to us. And so uh, we always need to be mindful when God's Word is being taught or God's Word is being preached, even maybe if it's something we've heard before. We may get something out of it, and Paul is saying, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you these things again because it'll be good for you to say them, and it's not hard for me to repeat them. He goes on to say in verse 2, watch out for dogs, watch out for evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, we see dogs talked about sometime in Scripture. If you want to flip with me uh, to Revelation chapter 22, you can. If you don't, don't worry about it. I'll read it to you. You can go back and check it out later. But Revelation chapter 22, we'll eventually get there on Sunday mornings in our series of Revelation, but we're going to skip ahead a little bit and look at a couple of verses tonight. Revelation 22 verse 14 says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. And so that's just one example in the text of where uh, dogs are, are kind of grouped together with those evil people, those sinful people. We have uh, those who are in Christ whose robes have been washed and made clean, but we also see those who are outside the gates, who are not of God, who are evil people, and dogs is one term that's used to describe that. Now, I love dogs to death. If I was 
described it. I'd put the cats as evil because I don't like cats. But, but God knows what he's doing, and so he chooses dogs as the illustration here. And so we have that same kind of language here. The dogs that Paul is talking about are, are, are evil people or people who aren't doing right, people who are going to lead Christians astray. Uh, and he says, watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, the, the Greek word there is katatome, uh, and some of your translations may say concision, or some may, uh, some may say false circumcision, but probably the best interpretation of the word is mutilation of the flesh. And what Paul is talking about here is we're going to read on a little f- further. He talks about circumcision. Now, that was something that was uh, very important uh, for the people of God. That was part of his covenant with them. We see that all the way back in the Old Testament, that that was a a visible symbol, a physical symbol, that those were God's chosen people. He had commanded them to be circumcised on the eighth day after each male was born. And so that was something that the Jewish people would have held uh, to a very high standard. They would have made sure to do that. They wanted to make sure that they followed the laws, and that was one of them. And we see this addressed several points in Scripture where there are those people who are very religious. They're not righteous. They're not following the Lord, but they are very religious. And so they want to make sure that you've got to follow all the laws. And Paul is continually teaching to look at the intent of the law, the heart of the law, and not just the letter of the law. And so he tells them to look out for those who are uh, those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Now, that's an that's a odd thing to say. Uh, he's talking about uh, those who want to uh, teach and, and practice the mutilation. And then he goes on to say, look, we as Christians are the circumcision. Now, that seems kind of kind of strange thing to say. But we see uh, this all throughout the Old Testament and all throughout the New Testament. And while it was part of the law, we see the intent even in the Old Testament. One Old Testament uh, text, Deuteronomy 10.16. You can go back and read the whole chapter sometime if you get a chance. But uh, Deuteronomy 10.16 says, Therefore circumcise your hearts and don't be stiff-necked any longer. Even in the Old Testament, if you go back and you read all those uh, verses, it also says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. Even in those few verses, that early on in the law, what God was commanding the people was always about the heart. God knew it always was going to come back to the heart. And he says in those verses that the law is there for the good of the people so that the people can stay out of trouble, so to speak. Just like we talked about Sunday, a parent giving a child rules and guidelines to keep them out of trouble. That's why God put the laws there. But the intent was that God wanted people to be pure in heart, even using this, rec- uh, this um, um, illustration here as being circumcised in the heart in Deuteronomy. We see another Old Testament illustration. And if their uncircumcised hearts will humble, be humbled, and if they will pay the penalty for their sin, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. I will also remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. There, there again, we have that same language. If their uncircumcised hearts will be humble. Now, this, this, this 
And Leviticus was probably going to people who physically were circumcised, but God was saying, look, your heart's still not right. Your heart's not what it needs to be. And so that's always been kind of the purpose of this from the get-go, is while it's a, a physical example that they are, illustration, excuse me, that they are God's people, the intent always comes back to the heart. We see that in Joshua chapter 5. You can go back and read it. I won't read the whole chapter. But we also see it in the New Testament. We see it in Stephen's uh, sermon in Acts chapter 7. You can read that too. That's a great sermon. He says, You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit as your ancestors did. So do you. So this was a, a common problem. This was a problem for the people of the Old Testament. That is that they were, a lot of them would follow what the law required, but they still didn't worship God with their heart. And Stephen was preaching a pretty tough sermon to these people in the New Testament times, saying, look, you're no better off than your, than your ancestors who come before you. They suffered the same problem. Could you imagine being Stephen and preaching that sermon? He... I mean, obviously, he didn't get a very good reception from it. If you don't know the story, go read it. But uh, he was pretty bold in preaching that. Uh, Paul goes on to say in Romans 2.25, for, circum for circumcision benefits you if you observe the law. But if you are a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. And so here we have another example. Paul says, look, that's not what's going to save you unless you're perfect, so to speak. But if you've broken all the laws... That's not going to make any difference. We see clearly in the text that it is Jesus that frees us from our sinfulness, from the fact that we break all the laws. It's not a, anything physical that we can do. It is through Jesus Christ and what he physically did by giving his life on the cross. Paul goes on to say a few verses later in Romans chapter 2, On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, by the Spirit, not the letter. That man's praise is not from men, but from God. We see the same, the same language that we saw in the Old Testament, that what God wanted was for people's heart to be changed. And that could never come from the letter of the law. That could never come from any physical thing that could be done. And that's what Paul is telling the Philippians here. He's telling them, look, don't get caught up in those things because we are the circumcision. That is, we Christians, our heart has to be transformed. There has to be a change in us. And that is what... Uh, shows our relationship with Jesus Christ that we have been transformed that Jesus is good enough and that's what he is calling the people of Philippi here to he goes on to say although let's let me let's back up a little bit boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh although I once had confidence in the flesh if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh I have more Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. So Paul was saying, look, you want to talk to me about knowing the law and living the law? I can tell you I was the best of the best. Now, Paul was a sharp guy. Paul was a Jew of Jews. He come from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee. He was somebody that studied the law. He knew it to a T. 
He lived it the best he could. He was going to fulfill the law. He killed Christians. He could have probably quoted you all the laws. I'm telling you, all 600 and something. I guarantee you, Paul probably could have done it. He knew every bit of that. Paul said, you know what? It didn't matter. He says, look, I can tell you all these things. I can do all these things. But he's going to go on to tell us that in the end, that's not really what made any difference whatsoever. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of Him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth, so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. See, what we have here is a battle of, of, of the flesh versus faith. And see, Paul lived the first part of his life. He was trying to live out the flesh, the flesh to uh, get on God's good side, for lack of a better term. He thought he was doing what was right. And while he had read the law and knew the law front to back, what he missed was the heart of the law. And then Jesus appeared to him, and he totally realized everything that the law meant. And he realized that it wasn't anything that he was going to do in the flesh that was going to make him righteous. It was through faith in Jesus Christ that was going to make him righteous. You see, before Jesus Christ, Paul was just religious. Now, when Jesus Christ comes into our hearts and, and, and he makes us righteous, we are religious. But you can be religious and not be righteous. We see that all throughout the text. We see a lot of uh, Pharisees, and usually when we see the word religion or the religious talked about in the New Testament, it's almost always in a negative sense. And so what Paul was preaching against here is don't worry about going through all the motions to try to live everything out and be perfect, but have faith in Jesus Christ and what he did. Because there's nothing that you can do in the flesh that's going to make you have a right standing before God, but it's only what Jesus Christ did that's going to make you have that. And Paul says, everything that I had before then, I count all that as lost because I realize that Jesus is all that there is. He realized that faith in Jesus Christ totally trumped anything that he had ever done or ever would do in the flesh. And so he was done with that. He was done trying to live by the letter of the law because he knew Jesus had freed him from that. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Paul is looking forward to the day that is coming. Paul knows that one day that Jesus Christ is going to come back. Paul knows that one day he was going to leave this earth if Jesus Christ didn't come back. And he knew that Jesus was who he said he was. He knew that Jesus had been resurrected from the grave. And he knew because of his faith in Jesus Christ, he was longing for that day. He was looking forward to that day that he too would be resurrected with his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's very tempting for us to try, to try to feel like we need to do a whole bunch of stuff in the flesh. Sometimes the devil can do that to us. He can convince us that we need to be a little better. Now, maybe we do. That's not saying if, if we're living in sin, we don't need to, we don't need to stop because we do. But what we need to realize as Christians is that we can never earn God's favor by what we do. 
Our forgiveness and our grace comes when, or God's grace comes when we come to Him and we ask for His forgiveness and we ask for His grace and we say, Look, Lord, I can't do it on my own. I'm not good enough. I can't even, I can't even begin to try. But Jesus is good enough. And when we come before the Lord and acknowledge that we aren't good enough, but what Jesus did is good enough, and we ask for that forgiveness, and we ask for that grace, then God is gracious to give that to us. And we need to repent of our sin, and we need to leave that stuff laying in the past, and we need to go on to do good works, and we need to go on to live for God, but never to do those things to try to earn God's favor, because Jesus has already earned God's favor for us. And it's up for us, up to us to say, look, Lord, I don't want to get caught in the trap of religion, but I want to be made righteous by Jesus Christ. Not self-righteousness that Paul is talking about like some people have. Not thinking that we're righteous because of the acts we do in the flesh, but knowing that we're righteous because of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we come to you tonight and we thank you that uh, we can be made righteous. And God, I pray that you would help us never to try to jump through the hoops of, of, of being good enough, dear Lord, because we're not good enough. But we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are good enough. And we thank you for the opportunity to be forgiven. We thank you for taking that burden off of us. And so I pray that you would uh, be with us, dear Lord God. If there's one in this room that may be struggling with thinking they need to be better, God, that they would just give all that to you that they would give that burden to you that you want to take, dear Lord, that they would ask for your forgiveness, that they would repent of their sinfulness, dear Lord, and that they would walk closer to you. God, I pray that you would help us to do good works for you. I pray that you would help us to do what you call us to do, but all for your glory, dear Lord, not because we're trying to earn your, your approval or your love, because, God, what you did in Jesus Christ was good enough. So I pray that you would help each one of us to never forget that, and for those who haven't accepted it, that they would do so tonight. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen.